You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. As always on a Tuesday, I speak to Joanne Bainham, financial advisor at Sterling Wealth based in Cape Town. Uh, since we last spoke, Joanne, which was a week ago, things have started to happen a little bit. More vaccines. And Mr. Trump has almost said, I'm a loser. Yeah, pretty much. I think Trump is starting to concede pretty quickly that he is a loser and that it's time for Biden to take over. And on that subject, I believe uh, Biden is going to choose Treasury Secretary and then he choose appoint Yellen. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, yes, but you're right. I think uh, finally Trump is starting to concede he's lost. So we can go on with our lives. From the market's perspective, though, the Treasury Secretary, uh, Janet Yellen, she has a wealth of experience there. She knows what she's up to. And people may not agree with her policies, but her policies are the same as everyone else that's been in that position uh, because they just pump money into the system. But, yeah, it, I, I think it's a good stabilizing influence. I don't know. Maybe you well, could expand on that. If you look at what Minton's been doing lately, trying to stop more money going to the U.S. economy, mm. I think the markets are probably quite relieved that um, Yellen's going to take that post. And let's face it, she's she's very pro-liquidity, very, and she'll be very pro-quantitative easing via fiscal spending, let's put it that way. So I don't see her putting brakes on. So, yeah, it's, it's good news for the markets. And she is a safe pair of hands from a point of view if you're very bullish equity markets. Uh, that's good news. I, I saw a very interesting stat this morning um, – the last time we had an ex-central bank heading up the Treasury was under a Democratic president. I can't remember the year now. I think it was 1970. Somebody was saying David Rosenberg tweeted and said during that, after that, we had quite a lot of inflation. So, so maybe that's the next leg here that we see in markets. But, you know, who knows? But um, under a Democratic president and an ex-central banker who we know liked increasing liquidity, this could mean that good things for pro-growth camp. Yeah, oh, the old inflation card being played here. Of course, yes. we've been t- speaking about inflation. Well, there's so much liquidity. There's, uh, the markets are doing this and everybody's a little bit wealthier because of the actions of the fiscal actions and also the monetary actions. Inflation is going to start to rise. In- interest rates are going to rise. Hasn't happened. Isn't happening. No, look, I mean, uh, no, look, Lindsay, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, we've been calling it for years and it hasn't happened. But I just thought it was an interesting anecdote, that's all, that that's happened historically. That was the 1970s, so it's quite a different world we live in today. We know about disruption. We know about debt. We know about demographics. Oh, and we know why inflation remains so low. But, you know, at some point with that kind of fiscal spending, one has to think that maybe in two to three years' time we could start seeing inflation picking up. And I don't think that's totally unreasonable to expect it. But, you know, it's still a way off. I don't think, I don't think anyone's predicting that we're going to have rampant inflation tomorrow. It just, I just thought it was an interesting comment. Yeah, definitely. And in two or three years' time, if we're still speaking, I'll say, what about that inflation uh, <laughs> call that you made on the 24th of, no- of November? Well, look, it was, uh, was 2.2% then globally. It's now 1.8%. When's it going to take off, Joanne, is what I'll say to you. Let's go back to South Africa now and talk about inflation yes. and also talk about the South African Reserve Bank. Let's also talk about the rating agencies. What did you make of all that that happened last week? Well, I think it came as a surprise to the market in the sense that they weren't expecting a further downgrade. But then again, you know, if you look at our fiscal position, you can't be that surprised because we're not doing the right things. And the rating agencies are just saying what we're all thinking, that South Africa's got a big debt problem. And I think the comment from one of the rating agencies was, does anyone truly believe this government will curb government spending via wages? And they're basically saying we don't believe the government will. And, I, you know, most people you speak to don't believe the government will do it either. So it's not a huge surprise. Interestingly enough, um, 
the rand hardly moved on the news. In fact, the rand's actually stronger. Mm. So, you know, you could argue it was in the price. I'm not sure it was because no one, no one was really expecting it. But maybe it's just sort of, well, who cares? Because it's hardly new news, let's put it that way. The fact that they think the ANC government can't control its spending isn't new news. And I, I guess that's why the markets hardly reacted that's to exactly it. That's exactly what I said. I mean, after the decision, I, I had some interview on Monday and um, I said, tell us something we don't know. We know that you're going to downgrade us. I mean, everybody knew that it was going to be a downgrade situation, but it's it's all in the price already. And it's not, the, the, the performance of the RAND has got nothing to do with the downgrades or the recent downgrade anyway, uh, because... It's to do with the weakness in the US dollar, the strength in the US dollar, and also the appetite worldwide for emerging market currencies and debt. Simple as that. And when liquidity gets turned off, I can tell you that rand is going back to 17, 18, maybe even 19 and beyond. It's just because there's so much liquidity around, people are looking for yield. No, I, I agree, Lindsay. And I think, you know, when you have this kind of movement more towards value, which we've seen the last month or so, and people feeling more optimistic about global growth, what tends to happen, you see emerging markets, which are a leverage play on global growth, do better. And when emerging markets do better, people, the dollar tends to weaken at the same time. Emerging markets rally and people just want to buy emerging market assets. So back to your point that you, you said so beautifully, the fact is local fundamentals are almost irrelevant to the currency in the short term. Yeah. It's all about global flows. And global flows right now would put the money into EM. And we've seen huge from flows going into EM the last couple of weeks. So that's what's driving the currency. It's got nothing to do with the fact that Tito might rant, rant at midnight about what does he do about SA Airways or the fact that we've been downgraded. <laughs> it's, it's got everything to do with the fact that global investors are saying, well, emerging markets look like a nice place to put my money. And the flow argument drives the currency higher. We're going to be talking on different platforms over the next few weeks, Joanne, about the move from, from high-flying growth and tech stocks to value. And I, I look, just look at the market last night. When I say the market, I mean the US market. And this is obviously hours, hours old. But the Dow Jones was up 1.1%. The S&P was up 0.6%. And the Nasdaq was up 0.2%. Could it possibly be that this re-rating, this unraveling of the trend that's been in place for so many years is actually a real thing? Or is this just a, oh, I'm just going to get my books together. I'm ready to go away for the year end holidays, because I'm so fed up with 2020. What do you think? Look, it's back to your comment about inflation. The problem is value investors have been crying wolf for so long now. Is, does anyone really believe them? I, I think this time round, <laughs> this time is different, the most dangerous words in investing. <laughs> uh, but, but the reality is we in 08, we saw massive liquidity, but we didn't see massive fiscal spending. This time round with the pandemic, we've done seen massive fiscal spending as well as liquidity. So potentially the value argument looks a lot more compelling this time round. And then don't forget a lot of high-flying growth shares are incredibly expensive. So if you put those two together, you've probably got a better opportunity now for value to do better than it has done for years. But, but I will still say, at the end of the day, when these quality growth shares come down in price and become more attractive, people will switch again back to those stocks because ultimately a lot of value shares are, are poor companies. Uh, and people do – it's a trade. It's not a buy and hold investment when you buy a lot of these companies. You're buying them because they're really, really cheap, and they're usually cheap for a very good reason. And then you suddenly get some growth coming through. Everyone feels more optimistic and people buy these companies. But ultimately, a lot of them aren't really good companies. So, yes, I think it's a trade. Do I think value does better? Look, there's some very good news on the vaccines. Getting it to market is going to be a lot trickier. But again, we're seeing news on that front. They might get it to market faster than any vaccines ever come to market. And, 
you know, it can only be good news for the world economy. And like I said, we have seen massive fiscal spending by governments around the world. So coupling that all together, yeah, maybe this time it works. But, you know, keep an eye on the door because <laughs> when, when value shares get expensive, get out because they're not good companies. Okay. Good. In other words, it might be different this time, but uh, you don't think it is going to be different this time. Euro dollar exchange rate, this is quite pertinent, but this is my intro. Euro dollar exchange rate is 118.65 today, completely unchanged. And then if I flip mm-hmm. to the left hand side of my screen, it says here the gold price is 1811, $1,811 mm. $1, an ounce, down $65 in a day, down 3.44% in a day and i can distinctly remember the thing going to 1960 and then down to 1860 in 24 hours as well which almost destroyed the charts and said that yes we're going to go even lower do you believe that it's all over because i sort of started to fall in love with the gold bull market prior to the vaccines gold made a lot of sense because as i said to you on your program quite a few times people were paying up for growth or so let's put it that way a short supply things. So growth was in short supply and gold is in short supply argument. So people were paying up for that. But in a world where growth starts to recover, where the vaccine has come through, the argument for gold is a lot less compelling. And that's why you're seeing that movement right now. So do I think the Fed's going to raise interest rates, which would really kill the gold price? No, I don't think that's happening. Do I believe inflation is coming around tomorrow? No. But equally, do I think growth is starting to get better? Yes. And so the need to have gold in the portfolio is not as compelling as it was prior to the vaccine. However, in the very short term, it does feel a bit overdone. So if you're a trader, maybe you'd go along yes. the gold price. But but the, but the longer run right now, if I think the world's improving, there's less reason to hold gold than there was before. I don't understand it. If you're healthy and there's growth in the world, you don't want gold. If you're unhealthy and there's no growth in the world, you do. I, I don't understand the, the link between growth, gold, I think it's a scarcity, of, a scarcity argument. And if you think that central banks will continue to pump liquidity into the system, you, you want to buy assets that will enjoy that. So you want to be long duration assets, which is funny, essentially what gold is, because low interest rates are very compelling for gold because it's not, it's not expensive to hold it. But if you believe that growth starts to pick up again and central banks at some point will start to raise interest rates, gold is less compelling than it was before. So it's really about what your view on interest rates are. And if you think interest rates will rise because growth is better, then, then there's less reason to hold gold. But, you know, short-term trading aside, because I see a whole bunch of guys showing technical analysis this morning saying, get into gold now, it's lost too much money, the gold shares are looking very interesting. Yeah, maybe it's a trade. But, but I think this vaccine has changed things somewhat. Yeah, it has changed things very much in the short term. Anyway, just please tell me one last thing. The movement of Bitcoin, while gold has been going one way, Bitcoin has been going the other way. I don't know about the other cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin has been going through the roof. Why is that? Okay, now you've asked me that before on radio, and I'll still say I don't know. Because I think I said to you last week, I don't understand why Bitcoin keeps going up and gold keeps falling. Because hmm. to me, that the, the argument for them both makes sense if you think interest rates will stay low for a long time or you don't believe in central banks. Ultimately, gold and bitcoins are, I don't believe in central banks. I, don't, I think they've lost the plot. And that's why you hold these assets. It doesn't make sense to me that bitcoin's going up and gold's falling. So, so one of them's wrong. And um, I don't know which one it is. But right now, bitcoin doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I saw some chart before I chatted to you because I knew you'd ask me about it. I see, I see bitcoins up like 100% in the last six months or something. It's some insane movements in bitcoin. 
And I honest to goodness don't know why. I, again, I think you need to get someone on your show and chat to you about it because there are a lot of people out there very pro-Bitcoin. And I think you need millennials on your show to explain it to us. No, because thanks. I think they understand it better. <laughs> no, thank there's you. something else I want to share with you, Lindsay, <laughs> that I think is a is a big market mover today in South Africa, I, in case we run out of time, no. is this inward listing story has been canned. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. No, please tell me. So, so we had this issue from, the, I think, the budget speech, and they said, um, well, the medium-term budget policy framework speech, saying that, uh, we would allow inward listings to be considered to be domestic assets. Yes. And ultimately that, you know, Reg 28 was no longer an issue for South Africans because you could have inward listed offshore being inwardly listed. Uh, they came out today, I think the Saabs came out today and said, no, we're putting that on hold, it's been suspended. Uh, that's so interesting because I had a long chat with Magda Vizicka from Signia who engaged the, the company Signia, engaged the services of, of a top lawyer in order to explain it to their clients. And so what yes. you're saying is that, that that's now not been shelved, but certainly been put under consideration. That's right. So it's been, it came out today. So I also follow Magda's comments on it. She, I know she's hired some very good lawyers to help her with it. But the reality is today that the government or Saab has come out and said it's been suspended. Now, you're right, it hasn't been completely shelved, but I think they're starting to worry about the implications of it, even though I think for clients, you should be able to buy the best things you can buy in the market. You shouldn't have to buy domestic assets if you don't want to, as in the definition of SA Inc. You shouldn't have to buy that if you think it's the wrong thing for your clients. But unfortunately, I think no one thought about what would mean for SA corporates who wanted to raise capital, because who in their right mind would give money to SA corporates when you could buy or global companies. I think that's been the problem here. I think they suddenly thought, oh dear, what are the implications of this? So for now, it's been suspended. Which doesn't do South Africa any favours at all, not because it's the right decision or the wrong decision. It's just a, a decision that has been overturned. And It's been overturned. Well, again, mm -hmm. we don't know what the implications are, but look, I think they've had to try and protect the local companies. And that's kind of, I think, where that's coming from. And let's not forget local fund managers. Because the, a lot of local fund managers won't like the fact that their good pie is going to be eaten into by global fund managers. You know, why would you buy an SA incorporated portfolio when you could buy a global one? And, and it was easy to do on the, on the local stock exchange. So I think there's a lot of vested interest here at play. I mean, Magda clearly wanted it to happen because a lot of her products are offshore. Yes. So, so she would have been very pro the, the announcement. But, but I'm just saying a lot of people on the other side who are very anti it. And for now, it looks like they're winning the race. So... It's been suspended. We'll watch the space. But I think it's very sad for ultimate clients because at the end of the day, you want to retire and you want to put money into good assets that can make you money. And, and you don't want to be forced to buy assets that on the long run won't make you money. So I, I think it's a sad day for clients, sad day for investors. Watch this space. It could change. It's already changed once. It may change again. Joanne, Completely. thank you so much for your time. Joanne Bainham is from Sterling Wealth based in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.